Hey guys, it is Christina here. I hope uh, everyone is having a beautiful evening that your kids are going off to sleep. Uh, mine are not. <laughs> mine are still having dinner. So um, if you hear them in the background, just know that dad is sorting them, <laughs> that he is getting them off to dinner. So I want to say hi, welcome to my live stream. Tonight's session is going to be all about MTHFR. Uh, and we're going to be talking about what it is, uh, what it does, um, what you need to think about if you have MTHFR, all of the things. So I would love to invite you to start, you know, saying hi in the comments. Let me know you're here. But as you're saying hi, let me know. Do you have MTHFR? Do you know somebody who has MTHFR? And have you thought or considered about whether you have MTHFR? And my next question is, do you know anything at all about MTHFR? Hi, Katie. Hi, Lisa. Nice to see you here. Uh, and if you want to as well, you can tell me what you're drinking. Okay. So it's great to see so many of you jumping on. I want to keep that close by because I'm sure I'm going to need some more water. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Christina Matthewson. I am a GAPS practitioner, I am a herbalist, I'm a naturopath, I'm a life coach, I'm a mom of seven children, uh, I'm a wife, I'm a business owner, I'm a person of many, many hats. But in this space here, this is where I uh, do a lot of my naturopathy sort of talk and I'm talking about the emotional connection with physical symptoms as well as what's physically going on in your body and trying to explain that to you in a simplified version that allows you to kind of get a grasp of the concept so you can actually work with it. For me, one of my philosophies is that the body works for us, not necessarily against us. And so if we actually are willing to listen to what it has to say to us, it can direct us in a whole bunch of beautiful ways that allow us to equip ourselves and help ourselves uh, nourish and be nourished and vital of energy, all of those beautiful things that we actually want. So who knows what MTHFR is? Uh, I'm going to tell you. So if you've got little kids, just cover their ears for a second. Uh, the layman's term for MTHFR is the mother effer gene uh, because it's been known to mess everything up. Uh, and so it has got a little bit of a bad rap because of all of the different things that it affects within the body. So I just wanted to let you know I've got my notes on side because there's some things that I really want to make sure that I don't forget to tell you. And again, if you have any questions, please feel free to pop them in the comments. Oh, and I can see lots of people uh, saying hi to me. Oh, Leah, you've got a double mutation. Much love to you. Hi, he here to learn what it is. Awesome. Uh, haven't heard of MTHFR. Intrigued to know more. Awesome. Uh, Nairi is saying she's got a compound. Um, yeah, lots of lots of people have got it. Ah, Philippa, you're drinking hot cacao and coconut milk. Beautiful. Uh, Carly is finding this out is huge for her and it solves so many problems. So when it comes to MTHFR, it's essentially a um, acronym for a big long word, which is methylene tetrahydrate folate reductase. Now that's a really big long name and you never have to remember it. But the important element in the name is folate reductase. The folate reductase gives it away. It tells us what this gene actually does. Uh, so I'm going to explain that a little bit more to you. But if you have MTHFR, here are some of the symptoms that you might have experienced. You may have experienced infertility. You may have experienced multiple miscarriages. So when I have a client who has come to me for fertility reasons and they say that they've had multiple miscarriages, that for me is an alarm bell of going, hmm, I think we need to check whether you've got MTHFR mutations. Uh, and so if that's you, get that checked. It's not hard to get it checked and I'm going to tell you how to get it checked. Um, birth variations. So you might have things like a cleft lip. So if you've had a baby, they might have that cleft lip or they might have a really high palate. They also might have things like tongue ties, lip ties, cheek ties. Uh, and those are also indications that MTHFR is involved. 
uh, high anxiety. So anxiety and depression tend to play into, into it when people have got MTHFR. Um, hormonal displacement. So even things like polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, endometriosis, just the hormones being out of whack, PMT, all of those can be actual symptoms of MTHFR. Uh, chronic inflammation. So chronic inflammation can be things like fibromyalgia. Um, you might have irritable bowel syndrome or you might have ulcerated chloritis. Uh, anything where there's some inflammation that is consistently within your body that it's hanging around and it's causing some problems. So you might see that as well in people who have got rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I, just, I just saw Carly's thing, hardcore PMT, absolutely. Uh, and I'll explain why that actually is in a, in a few minutes. But achy joints, for example, ath, um, arthritic pain or arthritic pain. Uh, mood and behavioral disorders. So if you have a kid that's on the spectrum or you have yourself is on the spectrum or you've been labeled with ADD or HDD um, or any of those, those type of things given an alphabet ladder, then the likelihood is that you actually do have MTHFR. And again, it might be something that you want to check out. Uh, when it comes to female and male cancers, so cancers that are hormonally related, uh, again, there's often an MTHFR component there. And again, it's worth checking out. And heart conditions. There's a really strong correlation between MTHFR and the development of uh, coronary disease, strokes, uh, and any other types of heart problems that could be, could be there. So it's important that if these are things that you're actually experiencing or you have a family history of them, that you investigate and just check that that might not be some of the underlying factors. Because again, information is knowledge. And when you actually know what's going on, you can do something about it. And for me, this is one that is um, a really beautiful thing to do about because it really just is working working backwards at getting you back into eating real foods. Because if you've got MTHFR, you've got a high performance machine. It needs high performance uh, petrol, servicing and looking after. So, you know, Think about yourself as a high performance machine if you've got MTHFR and it's just giving you that feedback that your engine is not going to take any crap. Uh, and that's that's kind of the bottom line of it for me is that your engine's not going to take any crap. Uh, so when it comes to MTHFR, what people are usually talking about when they're saying they've got a mutation with MTHFR is that there is a mutation or a variation some people will call it a defect. I like variation a little bit better because, you know, it just feels better. And so there's a variation in the actual gene itself. And genes are our blue copies or blueprints for our cells. They tell our cells what to do, how to do it, what to make. They are the blueprint for that group of cells. And so when it's a mutation on the MTHFR gene, what happens is that it also variants or there's a defect in the way that our body creates the MTHFR enzymes. And this is the important aspect that if you've got a mutation on those genes, which there could be a couple of variations there, you can have homo, you can have hetero. There's two ones that are studied out of the whole 30 that are approximately there. So you can have these variations. And if you have those variations, your ability to make that MTHFR enzyme is reduced. The ability is reduced by the amount of variations you have and the type of variations you have, but essentially that enzyme is reduced. And that enzyme has a really important role to play in our body. And its role is to turn things like uh, folate or folinic, folate, folate or folic acid into methylfolate. So it is has a job in that conversion process. So it takes it from folate and turns it into methylfolate, which is the active form or the usable form within our body. Our body can't actually use folate. It can only use methylfolate. And so we have to have this enzyme conversion take place. And if there's a reduction in that enzyme conversion, that's where we're starting to see a reduction in taking folate and a reduced amount of 
methylfolate because if we don't have the enzyme we can't convert and so we end up with a limit of methylfolate in the body and that depends on how many variations you have and i can see there that carly is asking if you have both mutations does it mean it came from both parents um, yeah so if you have a hetero hetero meaning different and homo meaning same if you have the hetero version then the likelihood is that both of your parents had it um, and again if you have mutations on both the C or the A, and I'm trying not to make it too complicated for you, but if you have both both of those, then the likelihood is that you've also got one from at least each of your parents, if not a couple from, from those parents as well. Um, so it is absolutely something that runs in the family. Um, we see it going years back, and I'll, I'll explain some of the theory behind that as we go through as well. So in a nutshell, when you've got MTHFR, you've got a reduction in methylfolate in your body because the conversion process is, is um, reduced. It's sort of broken. I don't want to call it broken because it's not, it's, it's something that you can just work with. It's not that you're damaged goods. It is something that you can work with when you know what it is. So we have this reduction in methylfolate. Now methylfolate is used in every process of our body. Like every cell of our body requires methylfolate. Our body turns methylfolate into methyl groups and methyl donors. And that does a whole bunch of different processes in our body from creating neurochemicals, which is the things that make us feel good like serotonin, dopamine and melatonin, which helps us to sleep and get rest and restorative sleep. If we have not got enough of those methyl donors and methyl groups we can't make the other things like those neurochemicals we can't detoxify which is one of the really big things when it comes to people with mthfr and what i see in my clinic is that they're often struggling with detoxification and so because there's those limited methyls that are going around the detox pathways of the liver are often reduced and when the detox pathways of the liver are reduced we see a whole bunch of different things coming in so the liver of course is one of our major detox organs our kidneys are another one but then we have what we call accessory detox organs and that is our skin so if you've got too much toxins in the liver there's not enough methylation to process all the toxins there the liver's going to go hey dude skin can you kind of help me out here and so the skin comes in and it starts to do detoxing processes and when it does that and it can't do that job effectively that's when we see things like eczema develop or rashes develop and it does the same thing with the other accessory organs so the lungs hey lungs can you help me with this process and so the lung comes in and it starts to do that detoxing process even more and when it can't cope with that it's going to be symptomatic and it's going to do things like asthma the same with the bowels the bowels are another accessory organ and we've got you know lots of these little accessory organs that are helping with detoxification like our immune system so if we've got a really run down immune system we're getting sick all the time that's another sign that we're not detoxifying properly and so a lot of these conditions that people are experiencing in their life actually come back to a the liver and that detoxification process and be what's happening in the gut and what we're putting in there that actually needs detoxification so we've got this yin yang sort of beautiful relationship between the gut and the liver and they're doing this magical dance together and then we have things like mthfr who come aboard and go ha let's throw a spanner in this works and we're not going to have as as much methylation going around the body and those methyl donors are not going to be able to do the job as effectively as they could if there was loads of them so that's just one aspect of of mthfr reduced detoxification another one is that reduction of making beautiful neurochemicals or breaking down those neurochemicals so we have a neurochemical that goes through it does its job and then it has to go to the liver to be broken down and either removed or recycled and so again if that liver doesn't have enough of those methyl donors to do that job we're going to have lots of 
broken serotonin, broken dopamine, melatonin is not going to be effective. So we're going to have these other things going on. So behavioral, mood, sleep are all out of joint. And that's when we see things like addiction starting to take place. We see anxiety rising and we see depression taking place as well. But there's another big aspect when it comes to MTHFR and anxiety and stress. So our bodies are beautifully designed to keep us alive. And if we have stress, our body actually recycles that information as I'm going to be eaten by a tiger. So even the stress of I'm running late for work, I haven't you know, got my form in on time, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, that stress and anxiety that we have, that is communicated to our body of I'm literally going to be eaten by a tiger. It can't tell the difference between that stress and I'm just running late for work. And so from our body's point of view, it will always give its methyl donors to stress because it needs to keep you alive. And so when it does that, it takes the methyl donors that could be in limited supply and throws that at turning on the stress response. And this is a scenario that I see with my clients all the time. When they come to me and they're struggling with uh, anxiety or depression or they just are like, I'm, I'm on all the time, I can't turn off. Here's the way that I explain it. It's like you've got this piggy bank and in your piggy bank is your methyl donors. And if you don't have MTHFR, you might have loads of methyl donors in that piggy bank. But if you do have MTHFR, the likelihood is that you might have much less. And let's say, just for argument's sake, that you've got 19 methyls in your piggy bank. And it takes 10 methyls to turn on the stress response and you're running late for work and you haven't fed the dog and you've got this and that to go and your body is entering into this state of anxiety and stress. So what your body does is it takes from that piggy bank and it puts those 10 methyls onto the stress response so that your body can move into this fight, flight or freeze mode. And while it's in that mode, all of the blood has gone away from your gut, it's in your extremities, it's ready for you to fight or to run or to freeze. Now that stress passes, but your piggy bank that had 19 donors in it now only has nine in it and it took 10 to turn that on. So in order to turn that response off, you also need 10 to turn it off. But you've got a problem now because you only have nine. And so you can't actually turn that stress response off until you've built enough to have nine, 10 in your piggy bank, and then you can turn the stress response off. But what is happening for a lot of people who have MTHFR is that they're living in this environment with lots and lots of chronic stress. And as they're living there with lots of chronic stress, they're consistently turning on that stress response. They're running out of methyl donors and they can't turn it off. So what they're doing is they're staying in a state of stress which means that their body isn't entering into rest and digest and it's staying in that space of stress. So when it's not entering into rest and digest, it's not able to bring in more beautiful nutrients. Those beautiful nutrients aren't able to turn into methylfolate and that you aren't then able to create more of those methyl donors. So that's what happens in a little bit of a nutshell when it comes to stress and anxiety and MTHFR. So I'm just going to take a break for a second. I'm going to go back through these comments and say hi to everyone who's jumping on. Lovely to see you here. Um, Carly's saying, I have both mu both mutations. Does that mean I answer that one? Vicky's saying, I have both mutations and mine is one from each parent. Cool. Um, oh, living in red zone. Cool. And Antoinette has just got one mutation. You're finding this fascinating, awesome, chronic illness follows. Absolutely. So, you know, as we've got this situation where we don't have enough of those methyl donors or we don't have, we can't convert enough of, enough of that folate into methyl folate, we end up with a nutritional deficiency. So 
just think about any any other body part that ends up with a nutritional deficiency if you don't have enough calcium you'll expect things like your bones to break your heart not to function as well lots of different things starts to go wrong uh, when you don't have the good nutrition that you actually need so oh alicia is saying jeepers this sounds like me can't switch off makes total sense ha you're very welcome not a wizard but a, but a magician let's go with that <laughs> Um, so the other thing when we're looking at MTHFR is looking at what are the other conditions that it's creating. And one of the big factors is heart disease. So when we don't have this methylation process going, going on very well, we'll often see that we have high homocysteine levels. And high homocysteine is um, it's a strong oxidant in the body. So it causes a lot of free radical damage. And we then have to have to produce a lot of oxidants or antioxidants to actually balance that out and protect it to protect our heart. Uh, is there a link to hemochromatosis? There is actually a link between that and hemochromatosis as well. Um, because again, when you don't have enough methylation going on, you don't have the ability to transfer and process heavy metals and iron, while it's a metal that we need, is also considered sometimes one of those heavy metals. So there definitely is. Um, but getting back to heart, if our homocysteine is really high, we aren't able to bring that down because we don't have enough methyls in our body. What happens then is calcium is released and calcium in the blood turns into some calcifications and they can build plaques in the arteries. And then we can get heart disease. We can get a heart attack. We can develop stroke. We can have all of those things take place. So if you have somebody in your family who has got heart issues, uh, then you might want to actually recommend that they go get checked for MTHFR. Because while I'm telling you about folate converting into methylfolate, we can actually access beautiful nutrients that already have methylfolate in them, which means we don't have to convert folate into methylfolate if we're already eating food that has methylfolate in it so if you know what to do you're able to manage this very very well and again it's the high performance machine that won't tolerate anything but the best because it requires great fuel to get great outcomes so Amelia I'm wondering if uh, you see any difference in symptoms between those that have homo and hetero a so um, when it comes to the difference, there is a big difference in the sense that if you've just got one mutation, it happens to be a um, hetero mutation on the A1298C. For those of you who have MTHFR, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, if they have one mutation, they've got the most amount of ability to convert folate into methylfolate. If they've got two, if they happen to have, you know, a hetero on both the A and the C um, synapse, what we'll get then is around about a 70% reduction. So you've got anywhere between a 30 to a 70% reduction, depending on the variations that you have and whether it is homo or hetero as well. Um, so Lalia is saying, great uncle and grandmother had heart problems and I've been trying to get them to get tested, but they won't listen. Sometimes families are challenging. <laughs> I feel you. Sometimes families are challenging. Okay, so I'm just thinking, do we want to go straight into what do you do or is there some more information? Have you got any other questions that you want to actually ask? Do you, is there some things that you don't necessarily understand at this point? And what else do you need to know or would you like to know? Um, when it comes to testing and finding out whether you've got this condition, it's actually really, really easy to get done. Um, a GP can run this test. Not all GPs will run the test for you. Uh, and if they run it, it can be covered by Medicare. And if there's a family history of it, you can get those uh, repeat tests done by Medicare as well. But again, not every GP is going to test for it. There's a whole bunch of medical professionals that don't necessarily believe it's actually a thing uh, and that they don't need to, to worry about it and think about it. Um, and so to get it tested, you most likely are gonna need to go to either a naturopath, an integrated practitioner. Um, there are some online tests that you can order for yourself. 
I don't actually know what they are on the top of my head, but I know that some of my clients have ordered the test and then they've come to me and told me that they've had it done. Um, how's it best to get tested? Well, for me, I think the finger prick test tends to be the most easy way to get it done. It's a kit that if you were one of my clients, for example, I just put it into my um, patient ordering system and they send it to you. You do the finger prick test at home uh, and you send the card back and yeah, that that's a pretty easy way to get it done. And it just gets posted, you post it back uh, and then I get your results and we go through them together. Uh, and yeah, integrative doctors can do that as well. Yeah, so one, one of the, the ladies here is saying you can get it at Gore Street, absolutely. Um, the other thing you can get done is a saliva test too if you're trying to get it done for little people. Um, the saliva test is a little bit harder because you've got to get a certain amount of saliva in order to get enough to make that test um, effective, but you can definitely do the finger prick test. The difference is, is when you're doing a finger prick test as well, what you're looking for is mostly just those two genes. You can do things like 23andMe where you get a whole genome mapped and 23andMe don't give you the genome mapping. They give you the raw data and then you can put that through a translation system that gives you then the genome mapping. And you can find out all sorts of different gene mutations that you actually have, which can be interesting. Not always necessary, but interesting. Um, the other thing that I do in my clinic when I'm looking for MTHFR is I'm listening to the symptoms and I'm checking out your eyes because there are some folds within the eyes that actually are indications of MTHFR. And because I've been doing this long enough, now I can usually pick it very, very quickly um, when I see it in, in somebody. Once you recognize that fold and you've looked for it enough times, you'll be able to see it in other people as well. Um, but there are some eye folds that actually are an indication of MTHFR. The other things that I might be listening for is if there's spina bifida or Down syndrome in the family uh, or fetal alcohol syndrome. Those are all things as well that are indications that you've got an MTHFR mutation, at least within the family line. Whether you have it or not is another story, but at least within the family line. Uh, a cleft palate or a high palate or lots of dental cavities. So if somebody comes to me and they've got lots of um, dental repair that's needed to take place, quite often that happens because they've got a really high palate. And how our mouth is meant to work is that our tongue just sits on the roof of our mouth and we're meant to breathe through our nose, especially while we're sleeping. And then that creates a bit of a vacuum and a seal within inside our mouth and around our teeth so that oxygenation is not going through and around our teeth all night long. Now, if you're a mouth breather, that's an indication again that you might have MTHFR, assuming that there isn't things like sinus problems or a deviated septum that's, that's taking place. There's some other things to look for. But generally speaking, those are some of the indications for me. If you've got lots of dental carriers because you've got oxygenation going around your mouth and you, you are not getting that nice, beautiful seal while you're sleeping, if you have um, yeah, a cleft palate, if there's cleft palate in your history, if there's tongue ties, if there's lip ties, if there's cheek ties, those are again things that I look for. Uh, absolutely, the stalk bite is another one that I look for. Um, there's a little uh, thing on the back of a baby, like where their bum cheeks are, there's a little indentation. That sometimes um, there's a deviation that can take place there. That is a sign for MTHFR. Um, the autism spectrum, behavioral disorders, high anxiety and depression, they're going to give me some indications to start checking for um, MTHFR. Um, yeah, and I'm going to look for some any, any congenial congenital abnormalities as well. So if you've come to me and you've been born with a heart condition, that again might be an indication that MTHFR is um, around. And Nairi, my quick answer to that is yes, there is. Um, people are finding this fascinating. My daughter and I both have uh, dental issues. My dentist hasn't heard of it, but I'm convinced it's absolutely a factor. And it's definitely a factor that I see in my clients. Um, and Antoinette is saying, need to come for a trip to Hobart and make an appointment for my daughter and I. Um, absolutely. And you know, if you come to Hobart, we can have a, we can have a cafe visit or if you are not local, you can definitely book with me online because that's how I do most of my work. Okay, so some of the topics that I want to talk about when it comes to MTHFR is, of course, detoxification. 
Detoxification is absolutely super important if you've got MTHFR because there is that limitation there. And so we need to make sure that we're not putting in a lot of toxins in our system. And we live in an environment that is highly toxic. Like our well today has far more toxins than it's ever had before in history. And we as a people do things far less to actually support detoxification. You know, we live in buildings. We are inside most of the time. If we're in an office, we're inside around filtered air. We're not going outside necessarily consciously walking barefoot. We're maybe not, you know, at a beach where we're getting lots of sea air or walking around trees or getting in the ocean for a swim or doing Epsom salt baths or clay mud baths. Like when our kids get out in the mud and they're actually, you know, taking taking the mud and they're smothering it all over themselves and they're creating mud pies they're detoxifying their system while they do that and we've got this little thing about cleanliness at the moment where everything's got to be clean and so you know that doesn't help to support detoxification so there's lots and lots of stuff that can um, help support detoxification it's really important that if you do have mthfr that that's one of the things that's high on your list taking care of yourself de-stressing your environment uh, loving yourself like crazy, supporting detoxification, reducing toxins coming into your system. We can also find that there's some problems when it comes to weight loss. So if you happen to be struggling to lose weight, you might want to consider whether MTHFR is actually a factor there because, of course, MTHFR will also have implications for your thyroid and your adrenal system, both of which need support when it comes to losing weight. Uh, stress is a big one that I talked about, heart disease, miscarriage, and those are the things that I, that I really want to touch on. If there's anything else that you want me to touch on in regards to conditions, pop it in the comments and I'm happy to come and chat about them. Uh, and um, JD, absolutely, we need, we need fuel, to fuel our bodies with whole foods. Uh, and the sacral dimple is another thing that we look for as well. Okay, so I'm going to give you 10 tips. If you've got a pen and paper and you want to write this down, go for it. Here are my 10 tips of what to do when you have MTHFR. And as I go through them, I'm going to explain some interesting things that our amazing government in its infinite wisdom has actually done for us, which is not so great. Okay, so when it comes to MTHFR, we want to avoid folate. We want to avoid... Um, folic acid. Those two are the non-activated versions of methylfolate. So they will be in things like your supplements. If you're taking any supplements, check them because you'll never know some of the crazy things that people are putting those into when it comes to supplements. I've had a client come to me with a echinacea supplement that happened to have folate in it as well because clearly the manufacturers wanted to give a boost of energy. But if you, again, have MTHFR, that's not going to be that beneficial for you. And actually, it's going to reduce your immune system because your immune system is now going to have to work on helping to detoxify. So we want to avoid folate and uh, folic acid in, uh, thanks, JD, for taking notes. We want to avoid those in our supplements. We also want to avoid those in our food. Excuse me, my kids are getting ready for bed, so now they're going to start rushing through. Okay, so we want to avoid it in food. And here's where our magnificent government did a... They, tried, they, they mass medicated us, essentially. So there is some connection with the research that folate helps to project, prevent things like spina bifida. And our government took that information and they decided that we all needed to be medicated with the B vitamins in case we happen to be female and we happen to be of childbearing age. So they made a ruling that all bread had to have folate added into it, unless it's an organic bread or it's a specially created, so it's uh, rye or spelt or it's got some type of flour, like special flour, um, like an ancient flour, like einkorn, etc., to to use to make that bread. Everything else, any flour that has been or could have the purpose of being used to make bread has to have folate in it. So if you've got MTHFR, unfortunately, you're either going to have to make your own bread, making sure that you're getting specialty flours that don't have fortified or aren't fortified and don't have folate added to them in it. 
if you want to eat bread. Otherwise, you're going to start wanting to avoid um, bread. I could say so many things about that, but I'll leave that for another day. <laughs> so bread and baked goods are things that you want to avoid. You want to avoid supplements that have that in that. You also want to avoid cereals that have that in that. So if you go into the cereal aisle at the supermarket, you'll see things like um, the Iron Man cereal, Nutri-Grain, that's what it's called, um, and it'll have fortified on it with iron and a couple of other supplements like folate in it. The same as if you go to like cornflakes and you go to wheat bix like a lot of those products have that folate added into it and it's it's sometimes it's just called fortified sometimes they'll actually tell you that it is uh, folate that they have put in it so you want to make sure that you are not eating any of those cereals and you're checking that none of your products that you're eating have it um yeah it's one of those things that incredibly like it frustrates the bejeebas out of me how much stuff gets put into food marketing um, and how much stuff it's added into and Carly's saying there Vegemite has it absolutely so you need to check even foods that you think might be safe whether they're actually been fortified and whether they've actually been added have added folate added to them and I've seen it in some crazy things like yogurt even uh, so again you want to just check I've seen it in um, a lot of products like soy based products um, the fake meat type products again you want to just check okay so number two is increase your natural folate your natural methylfolate foods so here's my favorite when it comes to mthfr i think everyone who can do not everyone can because not everybody is compatible with this particular food but organic broccoli organic broccoli is one of the highest foods that we have when it comes to methylfolate and it has to be organic because if it's not organic if it's commercially grown what happens is that broccoli uses its methylfolate in order to protect itself against the sprays. So instead of being able to offer that beautiful nutrient up to you, it has to use it to protect itself against the bombardment of sprays that are coming at it. So if you have, sorry, my kids are starting to get a bit noisy. Uh, so if you have MTHFR, and you can access organic broccoli do if you can't access organic broccoli the next best thing to do is to buy organic broccoli seeds and then sprout those organic broccoli seeds at home and then you can add that into your actual diet whatever it is that you're having if you're having a salad you can add it into there if you're having a soup you can add it into there as well uh, so that's another way if you can't get organic broccoli to try getting organic broccoli seeds sprouting them yourself and adding them to food if you can't do broccoli and yes some of my clients can't it's it's incompatible with their system at this point in time uh, the next best thing is to look at things like organic cabbage organic kale organic leafy greens because all of our leafy greens have methylfolate already in them which means if you've got mthfr you don't have to worry about whether your body is converting it you just have to worry about whether you're absorbing it and breaking it down and so that methylfolate is in all those leafy greens but again it's important that they are organic and if there's one thing that you can buy and if you're on a budget and you can't afford lots of organic food it's those leafy greens that's what I would be going for and again if you can't buy them start thinking about how you could grow them so that you can start accessing them more readily at home so that you can get that natural methylfolate coming through your food you may even want to consider starting to have a green juice in the morning with those organic vegetables if you've got access to them. So number three, avoid allergenic foods, gluten and non-fermented dairy. So if you're, um, we're talking about bread, you might want to make sourdough bread because that has got a reduced amount of gluten in it because gluten is the food that the yeast actually consumes which leaves you with that beautiful aerated bread. Um, and if it is dairy, you want to look at not at fermented forms of dairy only. So you don't want to be drinking milk. You want to be looking at a really well-fermented, 24-hour fermented yogurt, uh, well-fermented milk kefir, well-fermented sour cream. 
Uh, you may be able to do some of the cheeses as well, but that's where I would recommend doing some hair testing to see what would be appropriate for you when it comes to dairy. Uh, you also want to avoid things like soy. Because we already have some problems with that detox pathway, we don't want to make it even more challenging. And soy can mimic estrogen and we can have some estrogenic um, problems that take place there, which then means the liver has to do more work. So we want to avoid that unless we've got you know, 24 month fermented soy, which um, the Western palate is not necessarily in favor of. Okay, number four, avoid inflammatory foods. That includes processed foods, refined sugars, and carbohydrates. If it comes in a box that has ingredient labels on it, you probably want to start avoiding it. Now we're getting some really great products that are starting to come out, but majority on the whole if it comes in a box and it's got ingredients on it and you can't say the names of those ingredients don't eat it avoid those processed foods the refined carbohydrates and the sugars number five reduce our chemical and our toxic climate so one of the biggest spaces that you can deal with is your home so making sure your personal care products are as safe as possible and you're using, um, you know, really great ones that you could take that water and put it on your plants and actually create um, more life with that water after using it as opposed to if you take that water and you pour it onto your plants, your plants are probably going to die. So decreasing household toxins, decreasing personal chemicals, making sure you're as clean as green as you possibly can get. And there are fantastic cloths and I know some of the people in the comments here sell some of these amazing products. So I'm happy for you guys to like just drop a link in here as well um, for some of the products you use. Like Enyo, for example, is one of the cloths um, that we use in our house for cleaning. Uh, there are a whole bunch of other things um, that are, that are really great for low tox and reducing your personal chemicals. Uh, for me, one of the, the products that I use in my house is Zach Oli Organic. They create this beautiful toothpaste. I, I assisted Karen in some of the formulation of that. Uh, so she makes this beautiful toothpaste. We buy heaps of it and we, we use it. And it's fantastic for your feet, for your teeth, not your feet. That would be weird. Um, but for your teeth, it's very nourishing for your teeth as well as actually cleaning and supporting them. So you want to get some of those great products. You can make them at home. You can buy something that is already made for you. You want to decrease the chemical load. That's the key element. You want to decrease your exposure to as much of those things as you can. And the place that you have the greatest amount of control is actually within your house. Oh, my children. If I had a mute button, I would yell, but I don't. Okay, so number six is to eat organic. And I know that not everybody can afford organic. I know for me, part of our family journey was that we couldn't afford organic. And that was how I started gardening because um, I couldn't afford organic. I knew that I wanted to eat organic. I knew that I wanted it for my family. And so I essentially said, damn it, I've got arms, legs and a heartbeat. There's dirt outside. I'm going to grow it. So we started growing some of our own organic food. But when we couldn't afford organic food and we couldn't grow any organic food, we started to look at the clean 15 and eat, eating from that list and the dirty dozen. So the dirty dozen were the ones that I would really try and get organic if I could. And one of the big things that I would recommend if you can when it comes to organic and um, free range is to look at good quality meat. So grass fed meats, free range meats, cows from happy farms, pigs that have got to play in the sun, uh, fish that have swam in the ocean, all of that. If you're getting good, healthy animal products, then you're going to get good, healthy results out of those. So we want to support those farmers that are doing the fantastic job of creating beautiful environments for their animals because that's also going to create beautiful environments for us. Uh, number seven, eat a whole range of colorful foods. So you want every color of the rainbow in your diet because those colors are going to provide you with antioxidants, which are going to help with that free radical damage that can take place if your homocysteine levels are really, really high. So it's another way we can help to reduce that heart disease and some of the follow-on effects from having high homocysteine by making sure that we're eating a lot of antioxidant-rich foods. So your berries, for example, are fantastic for that. 
carrots, pumpkins, uh, capsicums, yellow zucchinis, green zucchinis, like get as much variety and color into your diet as you absolutely can. Number eight, avoid stress. This is super important for those with MTHFR. It's not that you can never, like we can't ever avoid stress completely. Like we just can't. It's a part of our life. It will consistently always be a part of our life. But we can do things that help us manage stress by, you know, pulling in resources that we might need to access, by doing some practices that help us to de-stress. And if you are um, a less resilient constitution, you might, might find meditation is really effective for you. If you are a strong constitution, what you might find is active meditation is really helpful for you, where you get out and walk and you actually are able to meditate by letting go of the things in your mind because your body is moving. So it's just about finding what's going to work for you as to how to do that. But we need to manage that stress levels. Uh, number nine, avoid smoking and alcohol as much as you possibly can. Uh, avoid smoking absolutely would be top of my list. It takes 500 milligrams of vitamin C for every cigarette you ever have uh, to undo the damage that that cigarette is causing. Alcohol, I know we all want to celebrate from time to time and it's just keeping it at that time to time, but also doing the opposite thing of making sure that when you do have that alcohol and you've got a celebration that you're celebrating, that you also do the things that are going to help your body recover from that by making sure your vitamin C is really high, by supporting uh, your detox pathways, drinking loads of water. You might also want to uh, use a product that I call, that I use for myself, which is Toxiprevent. I've got it over there. So I was looking over there. Um, to help you eliminate those toxins more quickly. And number 10 is exercise for fun. It needs to be exercise that you love to do for fun. So if you're doing exercise that you have to slog yourself for, you have to push yourself for, it's really hard, then what you're actually doing is you're increasing your adrenaline. And as you're increasing that adrenaline, you're making it harder for your body to lose weight, but you're also increasing your stress levels. And as you do that, you're working in the opposite spirit of what you want that exercise to do, which is to help you to decompress, help you to de-stress, get your body moving, helping it be fit and healthy and active. And so it's important then that the exercise that you do is exercising for fun, that it fills your body with these beautiful endorphins, that it lifts your serotonin, that it you know creates dopamine, that makes you feel really good. And that's the exercise that we want. If running is a fun exercise for you, do running. If it's not, don't do running. If dancing is a fun exercise for you, then dance. If it's not, then don't dance. And so finding the exercise that feels really good for you is absolutely important in helping you to de-stress, de-help um, sport methylation and, and let go of some of those stresses that you've actually got, but also helping your body move and getting your lymphatic system moving, helping your immune system to get functioning and swelling through as we do that detoxification. So those are my 10 tips for if you've got MTHFR. Those would be the things that I would start with. Now, sometimes when you've got MTHFR, you have a whole bunch of other stuff going on, or you've not known that you've had MTHFR for 20, 30, 40, sometimes 70 years. Uh, and therefore, some of these processes have been struggling because you've been nutrient deficient for a really long time. And that's where you might need to actually have an appointment with somebody like me, uh, get some support, create an actual plan that's going to help you to pull in the resources that you actually need. You might need some supplementation. I personally don't recommend uh, everyone just go jump out and get activated bees or methylated bees and start supplementing because it's an important thing to be aware of that if you start supplementing with, with those bees, what can happen for some people is that it over moves their system and they move into depression and some people taking those activated bees can make them suicidal. So it would be ne negligent of me to actually just tell you to go start taking some methylated bees because 
I'm not there with you. I can't check that you're doing okay. And so whenever I start a client on methylated bees, I always have them check in with a friend throughout the day, especially in the first couple of weeks that they started, because they could end up going too much the other way and end up feeling suicidal. And that's not a scenario that we want to have. We want to have the opposite where you're feeling really great and you're feeling fantastic and all the things are working the way that they should. So you might need some supplementation and I absolutely recommend you see someone before you stop, start supplementing. The other thing that I have found with my clients that works really well is looking at, instead of supplements, homeopathics. Because people with MTHFR seem to just have a more sensitive body in the sense that you know, you only need to give them a little bit of something and their body functions really well with it. And so homeopathics are a beautiful way to do some of that. Food, homeopathics, herbals, things like essential oils, meditation, uh, active or quiet are all beautiful things that I like to do when it comes to supporting methylation. And then of course, making sure that we've got a digestive system that's functioning really well removing any foods that are problematic or incompatible and that's when I will do the hair testing. Looking at all of those different things so that you can create really great outcomes for yourself and your family. That's that's my goal when I'm working with my clients with MTHFR. All right, so I'm going to take a quick breath and uh, look through these questions because I've seen you guys taking some notes. Fantastic. Well done for, for that person who put it all together there, I saw. Um, the difference between folic acid and folate is one hydrogen. Um, yeah, we tend to refer to them interchangeably. So you might have somebody say folic acid and they may, uh, on their, they've got folate. There is only just a little bit of difference between the two. But either way, they need to go through that pathway of being broken down and turned into methylfolate. Um, there's some notes. Awesome. Yay. Enyo. Uh, somebody else is saying that they use the toothpaste from Karen. I love the toothpaste. Grow your own, absolutely. Start a garden. That was the first advice that I ever got from my naturopathic mentor was start a garden. Even if all you're doing is growing some lettuce in a pot, start a garden because you get to control what's going into that pot. And, you know, there's some energetics around it too. You know, if you're telling that plant that you love it and you're excited for it to grow, the plant responds, I think. Okay, good. Any other questions? Yeah, Pippa's, uh, Philippa's saying that she can't drink alcohol at all anymore. I would recommend not drinking alcohol at, anymore at all, but, you know, I recognize that there are some people that enjoy that and they want to participate in that from time to time. Um, wild meat is absolutely awesome. You're going to get great nutrients from that. Uh, thanks for the tips. You're very, very welcome. Uh, Fiona loves running. Go. If you love running, do that. If you don't, don't do it. Pick stuff that you love. Um, and yeah, Brianna is saying it's one of the reasons I've been dancing for five years. I love dancing. Okay. These would be 10 tips for everyone. Not Absolutely. It's not just for those with the MTHFR uh, mutation. And this is what I love about it. Like, you know, there are a lot of people that go, oh my God, I've got this mutation. It's terrible. But actually for me, I go, oh my God, it's so amazing because now you can't get away with trashing your body as much. <laughs> like now you, you're like literally being forced to love your body and care for it. Um, so that's what I love about the MTHFR because it's just forcing you to do the things that you should be doing anyway. And if everybody was doing this, it would be easy. You know, if everybody in our culture was eating, you know, whole foods, um, all of that sort of stuff, we would, it would be much easier for everyone involved, including the children that actually need this more. Okay, so there was one thing that I haven't mentioned that I that um, often gets asked, and that is why do we have MTHFR? So one of the reasons, and there's a lot of theories around MTHFR, and one of the reasons that, um, here's a theory that I kind of lean towards, doesn't mean that I agree 100%, because it's still a very new science and it's evolving all of the time. But one of the reasons that some of my mentors have suggested might have taken place or some of the people that have gone before me um, is that during some point in history there has been a time where the body had to either choose to mutate or die 
And so it will always, of course, choose that mutation. And some of the theories that have been put out there in regards to these mutations is as we've developed with our chemical warfare, um, with using things like um, wars, all of that type of stuff where there's, you know, major stress or there's famine or there's a big chemical uh, exposure that is often linked to people having MTHFR and often like for me I've not done enough research yet to say conclusively but one of the things that I have often found is that as we start to trace back family history that often a grandfather or a great-grandfather was involved in one of the major wars uh, and often they were sprayed with things like Agent Orange or they were around Agent Orange uh, or they've been in a radiation experience where they've, you know, worked as a radiographer before they had a lot of the um, support to protect them. Um, or they've they've been sprayed with lots and lots of things like DDT, or they were in the army where they were being where they were receiving um, a lot of experimental type medication, uh, and so those are some of the things that we we track back, and it's not necessarily a hundred percent. It's just what I'm seeing more of in my actual clinic. Um, Fiona is saying my son is gluten and dairy intolerant, but um, yeah, if he takes those foods out. He's going to be supporting, you know, the mutation anyway, if he happens to have it. Mm. Also sensitive emotions. Hello, empaths. Absolutely. Like I find a lot of these people are very much uh, empathetic people. Like they really are empaths. They pick up on a lot of the energetics of the space. They often tend to be people who are also sensitive to things like um, EMFs as well. Uh, so they definitely tend to be more sensitive, which is why energetic medicine works really well for them. Uh, do I sell homeopathic kits? Uh, no, I don't, but I can rec recommend a place that does. Uh, Facebook is not happy with homeopathic, so it doesn't allow me to link their page. But if you go and look at homeopathic plus, uh, you'll find a really great resource of lots of homeopathics there. Uh, and if you come and see me and you want to work homeopathically, uh, I absolutely can do that and tell you which homeopaths to use. Um, does MTHFR play a part in dyslexia? 100% it plays a part in dyslexia on a number of levels. One, again, because it, it alters the neurochemicals to the brain. But the other element is that it also is there's often a gut element as well. So there definitely there is a connection between dyslexia and MTHFR. Um, what about puberty in girls and iron? Uh, again, it's really important that you look at do they have MTHFR? Because then you can really nourish them in a way that's going to support them when it comes to MTHFR. And when it comes to girls and iron, as girls move through the through into the period, that's when they actually have an increased ability to detox because a period as a woman is one of the ways that we detox from our bodies. It's our one of our detox pathways. It's a really fast way that the body can get toxins out of the blood, out of the actual body. Uh, and so that's where we start to see if we've got a lot of um, like a lot of really heavy periods where you've got a lot of pain, a lot of cramping involved, if we've got endometriosis, those types of things, that's where I'm going to start looking at what what um, what detoxification processes are happening in the body and what needs support. When it comes to iron, I'm, there's four reasons why you might have low iron. You're not eating enough of it, you're not absorbing it, something is stealing it or you're losing it. And that's what I'm looking at when I'm looking at iron. So I hope that helps, Jackie. It's a little bit hard to answer that um, really, really succinctly without a little bit more information. But generally speaking, that's the four things that I'm looking for when I'm looking at iron. Um, okay, guys, talking to each other. Probably worth testing for, absolutely. Any good green juice recipes taste yummy for kids. Okay, when it comes to creating a green juice, you want 50% of that juice to be therapeutic. So your vegetables. And then 50% to be... Um, you know, your kind of flavors, the things that are going to spice things up or make it a little bit more appealing and appetizing to little taste buds and maybe big taste buds as well. So you want to focus on 50% of it is like celery, which is great for silica. Um, your 
greens, so your spinach, your kale, all of those types of things, broccoli, cabbage, etc. Uh, and then you want to do another 50% that's going to be like some fruit. Pineapple is a really good one for helping with digestion. Uh, bringing in apple, for example, which again is going to be great to help get the bile flowing in the uh, gallbladder. Make it taste good. 50% to taste good, 50% therapeutic. Okay. Iron deficiency. Um, yeah, again, so when it comes to iron deficiency, those are the four things I'm looking at. Are you eating it? Are you absorbing it? Is something stealing it, which is usually like a parasite, or are you losing it? Are you bleeding from somewhere? Uh, and endometriosis often is, uh, it's an autoimmune disease. So there's a part of that which is emotional of I'm not loving myself. I'm, I'm being nasty to myself. And then there's also a part of that that is um, toxins coming through that pathway. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, you're very, very welcome. I trust that you have gained loads of information through this. If you want to book in for me, just send me a message to the page. I'm happy to send you the link. Um, otherwise, you can join things like the Naturopathic Life Membership where we talk about all this type of stuff all the time. Uh, and, you know, you build your own knowledge and repertoire of information and how to use things in your own home, like how to use herbs, how to use different particular nutrients and when to use them and so on. And once a month we have, which will be this coming Monday, is our open questions and answers where you jump on Zoom, you talk with me and we, I just answer any of the questions that you might have. All right, that's it for me. I hope you have an amazing night and I will catch you next time. If you have any other topics you'd like me to talk about, pop it in the comments and I will endeavor to make another uh, session like this. All right, bye for now. Have an amazing day. Catch you next time.